Hello and welcome to Blue Notes, located on the best city on the Mississippi, the best in the Midwest. We've got that Stanley Cup power, too sweet to be sour. And if you're still clueless, we're talking about St. Louis. This is your home for Blues coverage on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Tom Franklin Wags, enjoying the holiday break. And uh, we have a special presentation for you for this episode of Blue Notes. Hope you're having a very good holidays. Hope your Christmas was uh merry and bright and you still got the chance to hang out with your family maybe via zoom or google hangouts or remotely um uh, even if you went ahead and had a small gathering in person uh all that's reasonable hopefully no one got sick and hopefully everyone had a good time because it's 2020 this is our last episode of 2020 and uh, we need some good times in our lives uh no thursday episode but uh, again we, and i'm pretty unless there's more breaking news like we did this past thursday uh so don't count on a thursday episode but who knows maybe i'll surprise you once again uh if uh, something happens but in the meantime you coming up here on blue notes after we uh promote our newest uh hockey podcast network podcast or one of them anyway uh, we will have a 90-minute conversation between Guy and myself with Fox Sports Midwest Scott Warman right here on Blue Notes. Did you know that your favorite band also loves your favorite hockey team? If you love hockey and you love music, you're going to love Bar Down Breakdown, a podcast that explores the crossover between alternative music and the sport we love, hockey. Every NHL player wants to be in a band, and every band guy wants to be an, 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 you know, a pro athlete. With guests from all over the globe, come along with us as we interview some of the most captivating names in alternative music and talk about why we love hockey and how it's influenced us. You know, there was a, for a few seconds, I thought, like, well, maybe we should wear a Montreal jersey. And the NHL was like, mm, I think you should stay <laughs> neutral. And we're like, yeah, yeah, you know what? You're probably right. So tune in every Tuesday on the Hockey Podcast Network, where we'll have a brand new guest and a unique look into the bridge between hockey and music. It's the Blue Notes Face-Off of the Week. I would like everyone out there in uh, Hawaii Blues Fan Nation and Blue Notes Podcast, uh, you guys, I love you, but we got to give a great big, great big thank you and welcome to Fox Sports Midwest, pregame, postgame, and in-game host, Scott Warman. Scott, thank you. <laughs> wow. That's the biggest ovation I've ever got in my life. Thank you, guys. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's not true. That's not true. I've yeah, heard 18,000 people applaud you. They're stuff at me. Over <laughs> <laughs> at the arena. They're throwing stuff at me. Oh, and they throw stuff at Bernie, but they want Bernie to sign stuff. Sign time, stuff, yeah. Which he always does. One of the nicest <laughs> human beings you'll ever meet in your life, man. Unbelievable. Oh, well, we'll get there, Scott. First, first I got to do this. Um, I would like to know where you're from and how you got interested mm -hmm. in uh, sports media, uh, journalism, what brought you to this place? Mm, well, brought me to the place is because like a lot of us guys, um, no pun intended. Um, I was just a big, big sports fan. I played sports my whole life. Um, I was lucky enough as a kid growing up here, born and raised in St. Louis, um, that I, um, 
my family always had season tickets to Cardinal football games, Cardinal baseball games, and Blues hockey games. And we didn't miss too many. I mean, it was I was constantly going to sporting events. I played sports uh, at a very, very early age. Um, my mom put skates on me and tried to get me to skate because she knew how much I loved hockey and I was already playing baseball um, and I couldn't skate. My ankles just gave out on me every time. And it was uh, really at a, I was just completely sad that I couldn't play. I played floor hockey when I was going to grade school up in North St. Louis County. And um, I could play the game on the floor, but I couldn't skate, um, but play baseball, soccer. And then, cause my parents wouldn't let me play football until I got into high school over at Luther North high school. Um, in fact, a uh, guy that was a uh, grade ahead of me uh, will be officially inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame coming up hopefully this August in Steve Atwater, the former safety from the Denver Broncos, um, who was a great dude, awesome guy. And so, yeah, just always played sports, went to the University of Missouri for a couple of years and was actually a business major, came back home and finally convinced myself, you know, watching sports, listening to sports, going to sports events that why not try this, you know? And, uh, you know, as I, along with a countless number of people will tell you, one of the primary reasons you went into this business, especially if you're from the Midwest and from St. Louis, was because of Jack Buck and Bob Costas. And when you got to actually go behind a mic or, you know, uh, a, a television camera, they make it look so easy and it's not. <laughs> And so uh, I went to Linwood University and uh, I learned my craft. And then from there, went to KMOX Radio for a couple of years and was actually in news. Uh, and then left there and went to a myriad of places, of radio stations, all sports radio stations. Uh, and then eventually worked on Rams Radio. Uh, my first year in 1999 was the year the Rams won the Super Bowl, was part of that broadcast. Um, all sports stations went back to Rams radio until they moved to uh, 101 ESPN. And then was basically other than working for the uh, Missouri Valley conference, which is located here in St. Louis doing play by play for their football and basketball telecast. I didn't have anything until uh, I got a phone call and a message from Tom Ackerman, the sports director over at KMOX, uh, Chris Kerber, my very good friend, uh, the voice of the blues and Steve Moore, the program director. And they asked me to, uh, I wanted to kind of fill in part-time, especially on the weekends when the Blues had games because Kevin Wheeler was working Monday through Fridays and they needed somebody spe specifically for Saturdays to help them out on Saturdays. And then that built up when the Cardinals uh, became a, a part of KMOX once again. They had a second sports show. So it was myself, uh, Chris Kerber, Dan McLaughlin, the longtime TV voice of the Cardinals, and Mike Claiborne. We had the second show called the Sports Hub. And from there was doing weekends on pre and post game for the Cardinals and the Blues. And there was a guy by the name of Kevin Landy. He was the executive producer at Fox Sports Midwest. And uh, he's now head of uh, the programming for the USGA, the United States Golf Association. So now that's not on Fox, it's on NBC. All that is over the overseeing part of it is from Kevin. Kevin moved back to the East Coast because he's originally from New Jersey. But Kevin um, saw me do some sidelines for one of the high school football telecast we had on Fox and he's like look I want to give you a shot and uh, it was um, 2012 and the Blues 
uh, were playing their last regular season game before they got in the playoffs and they needed some help because the Cardinals were overlapping with the Blues and Pat Paris, who was the main anchor at the time, along with Jim Hayes, were covering the Cardinals and they said, we want, we want you to try this out. And luckily, because of my radio side of things, I had not only a background with hockey, but most of the hockey people never had actually worked with Darren Payne before. And so did the pregame, did the postgame show. And uh, Chris Kerber called me the next morning. He goes, congratulations. And I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, dude, I, I got a call from Panger after your postgame show last night. I said, okay. I said, was he happy? He goes, he was blown away. He goes, he can't believe, he cannot believe that you've never done that before. He says he had worked with people in North America, both Canada and America before um, that didn't, you know, on a national basis that hadn't done as well as I had done in my first go around with them. I was like, wow, that's, that made me feel really good. And the bosses were happy with me. So I just started filling in over at Fox Sports Midwest whenever, especially during hockey, but even every once in a while during baseball. Uh, when Pat specifically had some time off or what have you. And then Pat decided to go back into news and go back to his hometown in Tucson, Arizona. And they said, are you interested in this job? I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> I grew up rooting for the Cardinals and the Blues. I'm like, yes, I'll, I'll do whatever it takes to get a job like this. And as you learn and you're in, in this business or anything we are in life, you know, you go through some of the tough times. I've been through a lot of tough times before and you'll learn from that, but timing is also a big part of it. And the other thing I always stress to people, <clears throat> and I hate elaborating so much on myself, but is hard work pays off. And I, anybody, you can ask anybody in the industry, people probably don't even like me, but they know that I work my butt off. I always have, I kept my nose to the ground. I've worked my butt off and I've always respected who I work with. And I've gotten this break and I'm always forever, however long it lasts, forever grateful to have this opportunity to be the studio host for the Cardinals and the Blues. And hopefully I can do this until I retire. And uh, there's no doubt about it. I, uh, I've been a part of, like I mentioned, Super Bowl broadcast, 2011, first year the Cardinals were um, on KMOX. I actually was a part of a Cardinal baseball World Series broadcast. And of course, as we all know, 2019, part of a Stanley Cup broadcast as well. So I'm pretty proud to say that I've been a part of three world championship broadcasts for our teams here in St. Louis. And again, blessed as well. There's no doubt about it, but it's it's been quite a ride. There's no doubt about it. Things have changed in 30 years. And trust me, they've changed a whole lot, guy. <laughs> I feel like going like this, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. Tom's more ahead of me by now already anyway, so. <laughs> I, I don't know about that. I mean, you know, I'm kind of, you know, I guess I'm, I want to do the opposite of, you know, what Pat did. And that is, you know, maybe get into sports someday. You know, I work in news right now and, uh, you know, it, it, it's great being a part of, you know, KMOX, you know, as, as you were with before. I mean, as you know, Tom Ackerman's a great guy to, to work Absolutely. with. And, you know, he had me along for the uh, all-star game media day, you know, so I got to, you know, meet some players. And that was just a real rush. Um, growing up here in St. But Louis. Tom, I'll tell you this. I'm, I'm sorry. Nero. I'll tell oh, you fine. this though. I learned so much. And I even mentioned this on the uh, recent, sadly passing of Bob Hamilton. Yeah. Bob Hamilton taught me a lot when I was in the newsroom. He taught me how to report. He taught me how to rep report and write and put together s stories. And I will always take, even though I wanted to be in sports, I will take those two <laughs> years in news yeah. And it really did advance me in what I did. So don't, you know, just throw that away like it's, oh, oh it's definitely. 
No, you're learning something. Plus the people that you get to meet, like a Tom Ackerman, Kevin Wheeler, and whoever else is over there as well, Mike Claiborne, just from a sports standpoint alone, not to mention all the great news people over there, because, I mean, you see the awards up on the wall. I mean, yeah. I can honestly say that I work with some some Hall of Fame people, and I cannot, you know, like a Bob Hamilton, but I can go right on down the line, and I can, no matter how long ago that was, I can always put that and say, not only is a memory, but a great opportunity that I had to work at one of the great radio stations ever in our country. Yeah, and that's a big thing for broadcasters, even if they find themselves, I guess, in a less than ideal situation. I'm not saying mine is not. I'm I'm grateful to be at KMOX. Mm -hmm. Everything is there. There's always learning experiences all around you. I mean, you know, if you just just by watching someone like a Tom Ackerman work or like someone, I, I wish I could have met Bob Hamilton. I I got there, be mm -hmm. you know, well, long oh. after he retired. But I grew up listening to that voice, you know, after cards games, oh, the Cardinals win three to two. And I, you know, and I'd be like rounding the corner where the eat right was, you know, rest in peace, eat right. Um, it's boarded up now. But um, yeah, it, it's all experience. And that and that's a big thing for broadcasters is to keep their eyes open, keep their ears open and always, always be learning, you know, always be soaking no everything question. up. So growing up in St. Louis, obviously, you know, you mentioned you're, you're a St. Louis sports fan, Cardinals, Blues, all that. Um, you have been around long enough to remember the St. Louis arena, obviously. And, you know, I have some fleeting memories of the arena. I'm in my <laughs> mid thirties and I went to a few games there, but I don't have a lot of memories there. What are some of your favorite blues memories from the old barn? We got all day. <laughs> I mean, a lot. I mean, brother, I can go back to the early seventies. I, <laughs> As I tell some, I, I, I go back before Bernie was actually playing for the Blues. Wow. Uh, I remember the Plager brothers, Bobby and Barkley. I remember Bobby Gassoff beating the snot out of a lot of players. Uh, as uh, and my mom's actually in town here. She's staying with me because she doesn't live here in St. Louis. And she was just as much of a hockey fan as I was. And she'll tell you, there was many nights on a Saturday night at the old barn where if there wasn't sticks and gloves and blood and teeth on the ice at some portion on a Saturday night game with the blues, it wasn't a Saturday night. That's just the way the guy, the boys played back in the day, you know, and they yeah. were rough and tough and you just wouldn't, couldn't mess around. Bobby, Bobby Gassoff was probably somewhat one of my first memories, Red Berenson, Gary Unger. Then when, when Bernie and, and Sudsy, Brian Sutter came in and Mike Liute, who maybe to this day, with all due respect to Jordan Bennington, maybe Curtis Joseph, is probably still the greatest Blues goaltender of all time. Liute was amazing. He was absolutely incredible. Yes, and, doesn't, get, doesn't get enough respect, by the way. I Yeah, it's, it's so overlooked because it's such a long period of time. But, I mean, yeah. Liute was just – I remember there was a game. Uh, the Blues were playing the Penguins – and it was the early 80s, and it wasn't the 80-81 team because that was one of the best teams the Blues have ever had, and Bernie would even tell you that as well. Um, but it was Greg Millen versus Mike Liute. Oh, ironic, because they wound up getting eventually traded for each other when Harry Arnest took over and, of course, deleted, depleted all the good players. Joey Mullen was traded to the Calgary Flames, you know, go right on up and down the line. But there was a double overtime game between Millen and Liut between the Blues and the Penguins back in the early 80s. It was one of the all-time classic games. Um, and, you know, I was just, I was reading uh, Jeremy Rutherford's article this morning about Ryan O'Reilly 
you know, becoming the captain. And I looked at the list of captains and the longest standing captain out of all the great captains the Blues have had in their history was, was Brian Sutter. And everybody, and Bernie will tell you, you learned the sweater, the crest, the sweater never goes on the locker room floor. Well, that was started by Barkley Plager. And Barkley is still a guy even sadly so many years that he has passed that Bernie still looks up to. And I know so many, but Barkley was another former captain, then eventual coach uh, with, with the Blues organization. Um, but Barkley is one of those guys that you did, did anything for that crest, crest uh, on your jersey. And, and it still spills over. But the longest tenure captain was actually Brian Sutter. And Brian kind of carried that over what Barkley actually started as captain of the Blues. And I'll never forget, there was a weeknight game. And I was with a buddy of mine I was in grade school with and his dad, who was a, a police officer in the city. And the Blues are playing the New York Islanders and the Blues are getting smoked. Again, this is the early 80s. And Brian gets in a fight with his brother, Brent, and beats the living <laughs> crap. <laughs> Brotherly love. Awesome. But that told you the pride that he had. Hey, this is my blood. But you know what? This is my blood for 60 minutes during a game. Then I'll probably go hug my brother afterwards, you know. But that just told you the pride that Brian Sutter, Barkley Flager, Bernie Federko, and all these guys had. Um, I, was not, I was actually in college uh, on, the, on the Monday Night Miracle. So I wasn't actually there, but I was actually at an establishment at University of Missouri watching that game. We went crazy. It was awesome. Uh, it was an ama amazing time. Uh, but I think maybe the most vivid ones uh, for me, uh, no doubt, was Brett Hall. And I've said this. I know we've had a Stanley Cup championship team. Greatest hockey team I think I've ever seen with the Blues next to a Stanley Cup championship team, because they did win it, was the 90-91 team. <clears throat> That's the year, the one year they had Scott Stevens on the blue line with Jeff Brown. Cujo was just starting to come into his own. And Holy and Oates were loading it up. And as I tell a lot of our younger producers that I work with um, who really were babies uh, at the time and don't remember, you could turn on SportsCenter on a particular night and SportsCenter would lead with Brett Hall and Adam Oates. That is, that is the God's honest truth. The yep. older people my age would re yeah. remember that, but there's younger people that don't realize that they literally would lead SportsCenter. That's how on top of the world um, Brett Hall and, and the St. Louis Blues were. And they were battling... Uh, the President's Cup trophy that year with the Chicago Blackhawks are really good with Ronick, Chelios, and um, what's his name uh, between the uh, Belfort. Belfort. And, and, then, and then they had uh, Boston was really good. And one game, it was in February of, of 91, and the Blues were taking on Pitt, uh, Boston, I'm sorry, who was one of the top teams in the NHL that year. In fact, they were the best in the Eastern Conference. And the Blues smeared. It was like nine to two. I mean, and they won every fight. I mean, it was just a shellacking. And we all got done watching the game. We're like, man, this team is something. Then they made the Vancouver trade, which I'm sure is famous or infamous, however you want to put it. And that kind of changed the scope and the dynamic of everything. And I always say that I've That's actually met Garth Butcher. And Butcher is a great guy, and he was needed. But the rest of the trade that they made, getting rid of guys like Momesso, who was working on the line with Adam Oates and Brett Hall, and losing a guy like Courtnall because the Blues didn't have a lot of speed, they missed that. Cliff Ronning, who was also part of that deal, was really kind of a power play specialist at the time because the Blues were really kind of rolling out maybe two, three lines because they had that Bob Bass and Richie Sutter, Dave Lowry line, which was outstanding. 
And then Ronnie was like on the fourth line, but he was really good in the power play. They lost, they lost some of the mojo when they made that deal. Again, the Blues needed another defenseman to help out Paul Cavallini with that second pairing. But what the Blues ultimately gave up for, I think it really hurt the team. And, and talking to guys as time has gone past, that really ultimately kind of, uh, I think, hurt stump, some stuff in the, in the locker room as well. So watching Brett Hall do what he did in the days, even before the Keel Center slash now the Enterprise Center was opened up, uh, was something to marvel at. It was just, it was, it was, it was Pujols-esque for some of the younger people that don't know. I mean, it literally was, when you went to the hockey game, you knew Brett Hall was going to do something. There was just no doubt about it. He may score one goal or he may score five. And there was nobody that was going to stop Brett Hall and Adam Oates. It was, it was really a special time. Yeah. Um, you're pulling at my heartstrings because you're talking about the period when I was in the Gulf War. And um, yeah. I, I, I talk about, and Tom, you've heard me talk about this before, you know, going around searching for the news roles so I could read about Brett Hull. You know, I wrote an article called How Hockey Saved Me, and that's exactly what I talked about. So I'm on board with you 100% there. And you mentioned something that I want to get into. And Tom, I apologize if I take one of your questions. You talked about the Saturday night fights, so old time hockey. Well, with the new schedule, we're going to see teams eight times. I can see this being an old, especially in April and May, the animosity built up, not just in our division, Toronto and Montreal, the Battle of Alberta, Pittsburgh and Philadelphia, the Islanders and the Rangers, um, up and down, Chicago and Detroit. This is, I think this is going to be some really good hockey. Do you, I mean, what do you think? Do you agree with me? Disagree or? I think it's a great analogy actually. And I didn't even think about it, but I think you're, you're spot on guy, because especially I think the animosity that you will have between the blues and the Colorado avalanche. I mean, let's face yeah. it, Colorado, Colorado might be a team. The blues are actually chasing. They're that good. Um, and you, know, you got Landeskog, among others. I think that will definitely be a series that can get chippy. I think I think the Vegas one will be a series. Obviously, you've got the the Petro situation going on. Yeah, they've got Ryan Reeves. Who's going to step for the Blues? Well, maybe Kyle Clifford's that guy that kind of steps up for the Blues now. That's one of the reasons they got him to kind of you know spruce it up a little bit. I I love this situation of playing more teams within your division. Yeah, I understand we're not seeing the Hawks or the Predators, or even the Red Wings again for some of us old-time Blues fans. But yes, I think there's still going to be a lot of animosity and quite a race. I, I agree. I, I think you could see some interesting uh, scenarios. Let's look at the Calgary Flames. One of my favorite players, and I saw him when he was a little kid growing up here in St. Louis uh, after morning skates with his father is, is Chuck E. Cheese, Matthew Kachuk. I mean, literally one of my favorite players to watch. He's old school. And he can get and stir into your kitchen. Imagine him, obviously, with Edmonton. We all know about that. Yep. Unfortunately, they're not going to play the Kings because him and Dowdy just get at each other's throats. But there's going to be more interesting scenarios with Matthew and some of even the other teams that are normally in the East from, the, from Canada that will be going after each other. I can't wait to see Matthew. And unfortunately, we're not going to see Matthew go up against the Dallas Stars this year. Remember, he was knocked out of the playoffs by Jamie Benn and company. That would have been an interesting scenario this season. I'm sure he'll remember that for the coming following season. But yes, I agree. I think we're going to really see some chippiness 
when you get towards the end of this 56 game schedule. Well, not only that, but you're going to have Matt going up against his brother Brady nine or 10 times <laughs> this season. I mean, you want to talk about brotherly love and bad blood. I mean, those are two guys that are going to, you know, fight for Kachuk dominance multiple times a season. So you got that, you've got the whole Eastern division to me seems like a one big giant powder keg about to explode because there is animosity just within those eight teams built in already. I mean, you know, the blues, they might have to stir something up with the sharks and the Kings a little bit. Uh, as you said, the rivalry with Colorado is kind of budding, you know, as, as the years go, go on, but the East man, that is just going to be, you want to talk about the old Norris black and blue division. There's going to be black, blue, and maybe it's some true. red, you know, in that division. Um, <laughs> And even even with the Blues going out west, I mean, you know, there there's storylines there. I mean, Minnesota's going to be along for the ride. Uh, they're trying to make some noise this year. Uh, Arizona's had the Blues number over the past couple of years, and they're going to be in the Central Division after this coming season as well. So we we get to deal with that thorn in our side for a little while. Um, but obviously, when you're talking about the Blues playing out west, the the it's it's going to come up in conversation. And that is the possibility of 9 p.m. starts, you know, for games. And a lot of Blues fans here in St. Louis are not happy about that. Now, I understand they might mitigate that a little bit and start those games earlier, especially since the California teams are effectively homeless, you know, to, you know, start off the season. Like San Jose is playing in training camp in Arizona. Yeah. So uh, what, what do you feel? How do you feel about, you know, the possibility of those late starts or are you not worried at all as a, uh, um, on air guy personally not, i'm a night owl by trade so it doesn't really bother me <laughs> um i see where blues fans you know you got to work or you got to go to school uh even under these different circumstances that we're all living in it's a little different i will tell you this when when the whole story came out i mean i can tell you fox sports midwest our nobody had any say so in what the nhl was going to do with the blues yeah so that that's that i hope that was put to bed yeah, Wyshynski um, you know, walked that back. Yeah. So the other thing is, is the fact that our PR guy, Jeff Goldman, had told me that there's really, it's surprisingly enough, there's not that much of a difference uh, in ratings for a 6 p.m. Central start compared to a 9 or a 9.30 Central start, which really, to be honest, kind of surprised me a little bit. Um, but that, you know, evidently, I mean, he added it all up and that is the case. I think what you'll see is you have games that are West Coast that um, will have some effect. But when you look at overall the 56 game schedule, you've got what, thir- uh, 20, what, 28 at home. Yep. Then you got more Central Division and Mountain Time games where that leads up to another, what, 32. So we're only yeah. looking at not that many games. And if you look at Vegas, Vegas has started a lot of games, especially on the, they've even had Friday afternoon games for whatever reason. And I think it's all also depending on what you have from a fan base. If you can have fans, I think we all know California is not going to have any fans. San Jose is going to be lucky to play if they're even going to play at the Shark Tank. Yep. Uh, Vegas, I don't know if they can have fans. I don't know what the stipulations are in Nevada. Maybe a little bit in Arizona, but nobody hardly shows up for a Coyotes game down in Glendale anyway. <laughs> so true. they might they might move some times up. I don't think that you know, especially let's face it, also. A lot of people are working at home. I'm not trying to make excuses. I'm just saying that I don't think it's going to be probably as bad. Is it the optimum for everyone that we have more nine o'clock games in comparison to where we are, where the blues would be if they were in the central or the south? 
No, there's no question about it. Yes, you miss the Blackhawks. And, and as I've mentioned, you miss the Predators. The Nashville's, uh, I think, rivalry has really built up over the years. And you have the old rivalry with, with uh, Detroit. Oh, by the way, Columbus used to be in your division. And oh, yeah, Patty Maroons with Tampa and Joel Quinville's with Florida. That's appetizing. I get it. Rod Brendamore, if you want to go way back, is, you know, running the show with the Carolina Hurricanes. I think that is, a from head to toe, a more competitive division from head to toe, from top to bottom, with the exception Chicago, I think, is going to be down. Uh, Detroit might be a little bit better. But we're top heavy now in the Pacific Division. We got to battle the big boys, the team that you have to beat if you want to be in the Stanley Cup Finals again this year, and that's Vegas and Colorado. Everybody else, you're right, Tom. Arizona's given us some fits. Sometimes the Kings will give us fits. I think Minnesota is down. They're kind of retooling. Billy Guerin's changing things over there. San Jose kind of the same way. So you really got, for the most part, a two, three-team race when you're talking about the Blues, Colorado, and, and Vegas. I, I, I do think it's going to be really interesting, and it's not going to be easy. There's no question about it. I think one of the X factors, if I can get ahead of myself here a little bit as far as the Blues are concerned, and we said this last year too, was – while the Blues were rolling, to get an addition to a Vladimir Tarasenko uh, was going to be just an added bonus because the Blues were already rolling until we had the stoppage. And obviously, we know things didn't turn out the way any of us had imagined once we had the return to play. I think Vladdy is going to be very interesting. How does he respond from the shoulder surgery? I know uh, Doug Armstrong said the other day that everything's a positive, and that's great. How does that ultimately affect Vladimir Tarasenko? Because if Vladdy's still himself, he can be such a difference maker for this hockey team. And I just think that that is, that is a complete X factor. Whenever he's ready to come back, hopefully sooner rather than later, would be a huge benefactor for this hockey team. There's no doubt about it. Trying to make another run for a Stanley Cup. Is they're, they're literally in this window right now. Still, even with the loss of Petro, who's a, who's a loss, there's no question about it but they're still in this window to potentially win another Stanley cup championship. Oh, you're, I, I'm, I'm, I'm right. where with you. In fact, uh, I want with the Tarasenko issue, even let's say that his shoulder, he doesn't have that same zip on his shot that he did before. That's not the best part of his game in my eyes. I think the most underrated part of his game is his vision. And just like uh, Brett Hull learned and just like um, other players have learned as you got older, they started learning how to see how, that they could see the ice differently and started passing the puck more, started opening things up, started realizing I'm going to get two on one. Somebody else is open. I think Flatty's already starting to get to that point. And we saw that at the Winter Classic. And we absolutely saw it in game seven. That pass that he made to Shin that sealed in my eyes, sealed the, the Stanley Cup was absolutely beautiful. Mm -hmm. right absolutely beautiful yeah now that i just he, talked he is he is he is a guy that is uh i don't think gets as much credit for his passing ability like you're talking about and i think that's something that maybe he adds to the game the one part of his game i think that a lot of people would like to see vladdy improve on especially if and we put a big if if his shot is compromised because look brett hall that thing would fly off the stick like nobody's business and i know brett as mentioned to me, and he, I know he's mentioned other people that Vladdy's shots 10 times better than his, as far as his, you know, personal opinion is concerned, but Vladdy's got to learn to do the one-timer. <clears throat> That's the one thing I think Vladdy has got to learn because a lot of times he'll, he'll tap it, set himself up instead of just winding up. 
If he works on the one-timer a lot more, whether he has that same velocity or not, I don't know. But I'm telling you, that that would be huge for Vladdy Tarasenko to get him one-timer. And then, like you talked about, Guy, with the passing ability as well, people can't just anticipate a shot from Vladdy Tarasenko. So uh, there's there's so much – the guy – Vladdy's so talented. He, he's an, he's the God-given ability that he has been given is he, he's something special. When he's on his game, man, there's very few that can beat him still in the National Hockey League if he's healthy. I, I, I absolutely agree with you, but you mentioned something, and I want to talk, I'll talk about it real quick. You mentioned you were part of the 99 Rams. You were part of the mm-hmm. 2013 Cardinals and then the 19, uh, 2019 Stanley Cup champion blues you know i i still have trouble saying that coming off my lip coming off my lips <laughs> right and i believe it or not i've told thomas i film myself during that game it's on youtube my reaction to watching that game it, it, so so yeah can you tell us what the difference or how you see the difference or the feeling of the city and around you and from each of those championships what was your what did you see what did you feel what was your um, you know how did they uh, i think it, you know where i'm going but- um, you know, the, the 99 thing was pretty special, even though we now have different feelings about the Rams and the NFL, or at least I do personally, or I don't even have any feelings for them anymore, what they did to our city, but, um, it was special because being there a lot with my parents at all those games and then not have a team and then finally have a team and let's face it, the Rams struggled their first few years before they turned things around. It was an amazing time. It really was. And really, you think about back in that time, we had a great football team. We had a really great hockey team. They were President's Trophy champions. In fact, several of those players during that era, during the Quinville era, will tell you that 99 team unfortunately lost, remember, to the San Jose Sharks in the first round. Mark Bergevin throws the puck into the net. That was probably their best team as far as, you know, a lot of those guys that were part of those teams will tell you. And then you had the Cardinals, you know, you started getting the addition of Edmonds and, and Pujols as well. But the 99 experience was was special. Um, there's no doubt about it. There's n- there's nothing you can take away from it. 011 was also special because kind of like 06, it kind of became, it was unsuspecting. It wasn't the Cardinals' best team, but they came from nowhere. And then they just had this magical run. Basically, you go back to the middle of September, all the way to the World Championship. Real quick story. And I know Kevin Wheeler, KMOX, will back me up on this, is the fact that I was working at KMOX at the time. It was was the game six. And we have me, or now them, KMOX, Tom Ackerman, uh, Kevin Wheeler, and myself are doing the pre- and post-game shows. And they have a booth right behind home plate behind the green seats. <clears throat> it was right around the seventh inning. And they were parading our window. We couldn't see outside. You just see outside the walkway. And you had to walk past our little booth there KMOX's little booth where you do pregame postgame to the visitors clubhouse and so we see all these people the wives the people that work for the uh you know rangers you know whatever and they're smiles from ear to ear i mean they're jovial next half inning they're bringing the champagne to put it into you know the the uh to the locker room and you're like man this really stinks and of course this was the the famous david freeze game one of the most incredible, the most incredible game I've ever seen in my life by far. And I've seen some incredible, I've been lucky enough to see some incredible moments, but that was unbelievable. So Cardinals win, go crazy. We get ready, doing the post-game show. I'm with Wheeler. 
And it's like, I don't know, 10 minutes after the game. And all these people that had smiles from ear to ear who were part of the Rangers, you thought their dog had been run over 150,000 times when you looked at your face. And I swear, Kevin and I look at each other and go, we've got this one in the bag tomorrow night. <laughs> you, just, you just knew it, you know? And uh, so that was obviously a very special time. And to be a part of that uh, with KMOX at the time, be a part of the festivities that following Sunday for the parade was pretty cool. Um, but I will say this, uh, 2019, um, we were actually doing pre and post game shows for the Stanley Cup finals on Fox Midwest, myself and Jamie Rivers. And we couldn't do anything actually inside the arena. NHL takes everything over. NBC owns everything inside the arena. So we had a situation where we were actually out on Clark Street outside of the Enterprise Center doing our pre and post game shows. Well, this is before game six. Blues are up three games to two. That that I mean, downtown's going nuts. It is just a sea of blue wherever you go. And everybody's just jacked up. They're motivated. And we had this like two hour pregame show or whatever it was. And it was just it was unbelievable. Obviously, the Blues lose. People are disappointed, blah, 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 blah. And then you go into game seven, which was the Wednesday night, June 12th. Never forget it as long as I live. And we were actually at Ballpark Village where our studio is at. And um, I get there, I guess it's like three o'clock in the afternoon. I actually have video on my phone, the line to try to get to inside a Ballpark Village and they haven't even opened yet. I do have a picture of Bush Stadium because you can see Bush Stadium behind our little set we have windows that you can see across the street and there's 25,000 people as we all know at least at Bush Stadium and of course Enterprise Center is packed with 18,500 or whatever um and so it, it was just it's hard to explain the moment even to this day um I even have a picture because uh one of the girls that works with us uh Kim our stage manager she was we were outside videotaping everything and I kind of lost it for a minute because I, I honestly, as I told you guys before we started recording this, there was part of me that thought maybe the blues would never win a world championship. The Cardinals, <laughs> I've seen three world championships. Um, they have been incredible as far from a fan side on my, uh, for me, it's been, I, I always say Cardinal fans are so blessed because we are blessed beyond anyone's wild imagination knowing a lot of people especially from kansas city and how they've struggled even though they've had a couple of world championships now st louis fans are so spoiled we really are and we don't even understand it's not from us it's just the great baseball we've been given through so many decades so many decades but i the blues winning and i lost a little bit and jamie was there rivers um and then we did our show and then uh waited to try to go see the cup and i had to go because i had to work cardinals the next day um, but was a part of the broadcast with uh, the, uh, the Fox affiliate here in St. Louis, uh, Fox 2, and worked with Mandy Murphy and John Brown. And um, that parade that day was the most incredible day I will ever, I think I'll ever take in. Uh, I, I, it was just a sea of blue downtown, especially because we were positioned at the arch grounds. And it was, it was kind of like a, this may sound a little corny, it was kind of like a love fest. And it's basically, there was no problems. Nobody was getting out of hand. You just saw people didn't even know each other and they're hugging each other and, you know, cheering and slamming a beer or, or whatever. Got done, I had to do baseball that night and Ballpark Village is a mess. 
and but people are just so happy yeah and i that night i stayed downtown friday night i stayed downtown after i got done with the cardinal post game show and it was packed and i stayed at the hilton at the ballpark is where they put a lot of us up at because we had to get up early like six o'clock the next morning to get ready for our broadcast of the parade and there was families just families downtown even at like 10 30 when i was walking across the street of little kids everybody's wearing blue stuff and i told my mom this i said you know this may be one of the greatest weeks i've ever lived in my life and, and <laughs> then to cap it all off on that saturday the parade tom i don't know if you were down there or not but man that, that was something i i honestly i will never forget as long as like i didn't even think we maybe we'd ever have a parade and i guess from a personal standpoint how knowing bernie and bernie is a friend of mine and seeing going through some of the aches and pains he had john kelly because of his father and knowing the organization these people have been with the organization for so many years and for them to actually enjoy it on top of these diehard blues fans who go through thick and thin spend their hard-earned money to back this hockey team through the good times and the bad times, it was just, it was just an incredible, incredible moment. There's no doubt about it. It was, it was awesome. And, and guys, I will never forget as long as I live, never will. Yeah. And you, I will never forget, you know, yeah. that whole, you know, the, the finals, you know, even, not even just the finals, the whole playoffs that year was just like, I felt like I didn't get any sleep, you know, during that at all. You know, <laughs> no, it, was just, it was so exciting. <laughs> you know, I don't get any sleep anyway, because of the hours that I keep at work, you know? Mm -hmm. So, you know, there was, there, there was a lot of times where, you know, I'd have to vampire it and sleep during the day. Um, but, you know, you mentioned some great moments in St. Louis sports history, like, you know, the 99 Rams was special, you know, me and my dad had season tickets for that. And, you know, I remember how silent the uh, dome was uh, in the uh, conference championship against Tampa Bay uh, when it looked like Tampa was just going to strangle the greatest show on turf, you know, just until it, it was just lifeless. And then Prohl comes through with the catch that, you know, and I just the, the dome exploding. I've never heard that place that loud and it'll probably never be that loud ever again sadly um but yeah it was that that was a great memory uh you mentioned freeze you know game six with the cardinals you know that was another great moment um to me you know it, it, and you kind of mentioned that moment kind of being like hey we got this you know we you know we, we got them where we want them for me that moment with the blues in the 2019 run was when maroon scored in double overtime against dallas because that was another one of those games. I was there. I had a press pass because my news director wanted to get me, have me get some fan audio after the game. And they sat me in overflow uh, seating uh, in these folding chairs in 325, I think it was. And so, you know, I was, you know, there, you know, for the entire game. I thought Dallas was going to do what Tampa did to the Rams in 99 and just strangle this team until into submission you know they just you know bishop would not let the blues crack him at all and then thomas clanks he off the, their yeah he was he really did i mean because they're yeah and their their offense didn't do jack squat after the first period so it was just like it felt to me like uh, all the other blues disappointments in the past, you know, when, Absolutely. you know, you know, another, no another second round exit, here we go under dubious means, you know, it just, it, it's going to be sad. And then Thomas clanks it off the crossbar maroon pokes it in. And the, you know, guy mentioned that, you know, he has recordings of when, you know, the blues were in the playoffs that year. I wish I had that recording of when maroon scored because I did not have a greater sports epiphany in my life 
than that moment right there because that was the moment all the cynicism went away as, as being a blues fan and i felt that this team could do it and all the ghosts arrested <laughs> yes yes and then they they beat san jose into submission the next round and then you know i was lucky enough to go to the watch parties because uh, again my news director wanted fan audio and for game seven you know i sat up in the kmox booth uh i had a press pass there was no one else up there and it's like you know what i'm gonna have a great story to tell when i'm you know, in my 40s and 50s i got to see the Blues win the Stanley Cup in Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Finals from the KMOX booth. You know, it was very lonely. At Enterprise but, you know, Center. At, at Enterprise, Enterprise Center. Yes, but th the last possible game you could call the KMOX booth because they went to 101, you know, right after that. And and Biddington, watching him come up, you know, big in, in, in the first period, I mean, that felt just like the maroon moment for me. It was like you start to believe, you start to believe in this team. Did you – as a blues fan, as a lifelong blues fan, ever, ever expect the parade to happen and everything leading up to it? Do you ever expect to see Petrangelo hoisting the cup in a blue note? Uh, like I said, I, I have my doubts. I hate to say it after 50 some odd years of life on this earth. I thought, you know, maybe we are snake bit I, I, in the back of my mind. I always believe that, you know, this is going to happen. And like I said, you know, getting to know some of these guys, the true warriors that were on the ice, along with a lot of blues fans out there, you always hoped, not only yeah. for me personally, but for all, everybody that's part of Blues Nation. And, but there's a part of me, it was like, man, we're just, there's a jinx there. There's something, and you hit the nail on the head, Tom, is the fact that you get that bounce. And it was a bounce. Yeah. And you feel bad because Ben Bishop is a great guy. I've met him before. He's, his family is terrific. Shamanon High School. Absolutely. Um, and you just, he was standing on his head. I mean, he is literally the MVP of that game. He was. I mean, the Blues were completely dominating <clears throat> that game. When Jamie Benn, if you remember, had a wraparound chance yeah. and he blew it, went off the end of his stick. I thought, here we go. My Blues heart was in my again. throat. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I agree there. Absolutely. And that might have been the moment. I said, well, wait a minute. Now, hold on. Normally, under most circumstances as a Blues fan, that is a goal. We're done. But the other point you made, Tom, and I've said this, and I've watched Game 7 a million times, I think. Probably even watch it again on Christmas just to make me happy even more. Merry <laughs> Christmas, right? Um, is the fact that the Blues and what Craig Chief Berube uh, did was the Blues literally. You look at the Winnipeg series. Blues go up 2-0, 2-2. They wore them down. Same could be said for the Dallas Stars. San Jose worn down. You watch the third period of that hockey game, and I mean Boston's going all out, and rightly so. But even after the shingle, they're still getting after it. They did score a goal, yep. but you could tell they were tired. You look, there were a couple of one-timers by Pasternak, and he completely whiffed them. The Blues wore teams down. Their physical brand, I didn't mean fighting like we've talked about earlier in this conversation and the blood and the teeth on the ice on a Saturday night in the <laughs> 70s, but they literally physically wore down teams. And I, I'll bring up another point as we you know, also scope ahead to this 2021 campaign is the fact that I think one of the X factors of this hockey team uh, this year moving forward, and I think he's really opened some eyes, even the people that I work with 
who played the game. When they first saw Oscar Sunquist, they were like, uh, Oscar Sunquist is a difference maker. Yeah. There's no doubt when Sonny yeah. is on his game. Now he's not going to score you 30, 40 goals, but there's so many aspects of his game from a physical standpoint, from a defensive standpoint to continue the slow and to wear teams down. Number 70 is a huge, huge benefit to this hockey team. And I think we really started to appreciate it more. You look at last season, even when the blues were rolling before, again, we had the pause, the blues kind of hit uh, a stale part a couple of different times. And one of them was when Sonny was actually injured. And then the Sunquist comes back from injury. You go back and look at it. Blues started winning again. Uh, Oscar Sunquist, I think, is also a huge X factor for the Blues to continue their success uh, coming into the season. There's, there's no question in my mind. And Guy, I know he's, he's one of the guys that often get mentioned as maybe one of the last people that the Blues protect, you know, in the Seattle draft. They've got to protect Sunquist, right, Guy? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, so I want to talk about the parade first real quick because, I mean, I'm sitting here. You guys are talking to talk, and I'm going, I, I can't talk. I mean, I love this shit. Um, that parade is probably the only time, that day is the only time the word epic would be an understatement. <laughs> it's true. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, one of, my, just... one of my buddies was actually watching, and if you recall back to when they actually got on stage, which they were an hour late, yeah. of course, and uh, they're introducing mm-hmm. everyone, and they're you know some guys aren't feeling any pain, and others, yeah. this, that, <laughs> and all, excuse me, some of those guys were making sailors um, blush. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. But when Larry Robinson came up, and he won his like. 19,000 Stanley Cup ring and he kind of made a gesture towards Boston and I chuckled out loud well one of my buddies texted me and they said we just heard you on the air laughing at what Larry Robinson did I go whoops (laughs) (laughs) and that's that's what's amazing is all the stories that everybody has you 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 I've talked to a few Boston fans about you know the 04 when they beat the swept the Cardinals What's your story? And they've got nothing compared to Blues fans in 19. Not even close. Not even close. (laughs) But what I wanted to get to, you talked about Sunquist and and you protected him. Sunquist is probably the one player that most appreciated and was most helped by the O'Reilly trade because he has become O'Reilly Jr. Now, we've we've heard uh, recently that O'Reilly reports that he's going to be the captain. He's been the captain since the day of that trade when he tells Armstrong, let's go get a cup. I, I, he changed, he changed the, the, the style of the team in my eyes. And, and I think he'll continue to, to change it for a long time sure. to come. Um, I, 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 I'll, I'll semi-quasi disagree with you. And here's okay. why, guys. That I think <clears throat> Petro built himself up <clears throat> with respect, he had big shoes to fill uh, when his buddy David Backus left, and he was given that that type of uh, of honor. Mm-hmm. And I think Alex would even admit that he had to grow into it a little bit. But yeah. I think because <clears throat> you're kind of the conduit, basically, between the coach, the coaching staff, even sometimes management, and the players. I think he really started to fill the bill. I think what ROR does is the fact that when he came in, his work ethic is, I think what you're alluding to yeah. was a huge benefit, not only I think for an Oscar Sunquist, 
I think Robert Thomas has benefited. I think David Perron will tell you that he has benefited greatly working with uh, a guy like Ryan O'Reilly. So from that aspect, yes, but I'm not going to degrade Alex and what he did as a captain, because I think even Ryan O'Reilly respected Alex wearing the C, but I think it's a very smooth transition because of the thing that has been built up, the respect factor, if you will, for a guy like Ryan O'Reilly. Ryan O'Reilly, and now with Alex Stingon, because Alex probably was a bigger voice than anybody in that locker room. Ryan O'Reilly and probably Braden Shin are you two big leaders probably in that locker room right now. And, and to me, no two better guys that you could ask for in, in Braden Shin and, and Ryan O'Reilly. I, I think it's, I think it, those two guys are yeah. uh, such a huge, huge part of this team, not only on the ice and what they do for this hockey team on the ice, but I think off the ice, uh, it really benefits, especially a lot of the young guys. And that's, that's the beauty of, of watching practice when you get a chance to, and I don't even know if we'll get a chance to do it again this year with everything that's going on. But I mean, ROR and Perron are two of the first two guys out on the ice. And then yeah. they're one of the last two to, to, to lead the ice as well. And they're always working with the young guys. And I think that's one of the things I love more than anything else is to watch those guys <clears throat> work with a lot of the young people. I, Colt Brake was another one that I can recall. Uh, from a defensive standpoint that uh, can spend a lot of time out on that ice. He, he's, he's another one that just, he, he's a hockey nut. He, he don't want to get off the ice. <laughs> it's hard to get him <laughs> off the ice a lot of times. I, I meant no disrespect to Petrangelo. Uh, yeah. and, uh, I did mean, I, I was going at the work ethic and, and, and that. Because Absolutely. It, There's no doubt. But translate in the, in the early games, you know. Yeah. Uh, in the early games, you started seeing, you know, O'Reilly was the guy working. O'Reilly was the guy working. O'Reilly was the guy working. And when you know, that February 7th game comes around, or January 7th game comes around, or, you know, February 7th, come January January 7th uh, against January uh, Philadelphia, the Philadelphia mm -hmm. game, right? The Philadelphia. The um, yeah. Yeah. Out. yeah. That's where you see the team start to believe, you know, that, that, and then the uh, one nothing shutout against overtime win against Tampa. To me, that's the game. That is the game that told this team they were something special. Absolutely, because they had just beaten Florida two days before, and that was actually the father's trip that, that yeah. week. And then they went to Tampa, like you said, and they wind up getting that game-winning goal. Now, remember, after the Blues were before that, that was what the whatever uh, streak, the franchise record winning streak. But you go back, you mentioned that Florida game, or I'm sorry, the Philadelphia game, which was Bennington's first game, the Blues – played really well that whole week. And then that Martin Luther King day afternoon game, they play the the Kings in LA and they snuck it up. I mean, they, they were just, they were no good that afternoon. And then right before they broke for the all-star break, they beat Anaheim. And that's what's actually started the winning streak. But as you mentioned, guys, the fact that after that break, <clears throat> blue started playing, they go down to Florida and you're right. That was a huge win. Also think about this you beat a very, very good Nashville team on back-to-back -back days. You beat them in St. Louis first, and then that Sunday afternoon, you have a game down in Nashville. Vladdy gets the game-winning goal. That's another, I think, big yeah. part of the Blues really on a roll that time. Yeah, and, and, and going to Bridgestone, 
and winning in Nashville is a tough, tough thing to do. That is not a hospitable place for visiting teams and visiting fans. As I learned last year, I went down there. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, you know, I, I lucky enough, I had a press pass, you know, got some audio for uh, Tom Ackerman the following morning. And uh, um, yeah, it was just that, that, that place is, you know, the, the sound systems cranked up to 11. It's a very loud atmosphere and it's just, it, it's very unlike, I don't want to say the blues are tranquil by comparison with their game presentation, but it's just different in Nashville. And it's just, it's very, pro predators in fact if you you have to live within a certain zip codes in nashville in order to even buy nashville predators tickets oh, yeah. you know Absolutely. yeah yeah they restricted because Over- the blues and the blackhawk fans were eating them up remember there yeah. were games when before the predators got really good it was almost like a home game for the Blues. Yeah, and, and, and then it was of course, the same thing for the Blackhawks. And then, of course, t- in Tennessee, it's legal to scalp. <laughs> so, of course, you know, I mean, it's, it's really not that hard to get a ticket to a Predators game if you're from <laughs> a, the opposing team through that loophole. But, you know, I want to get back to the kind of the captaincy. So, you know, of course, you talked about Petrangelo, him growing into that role over the years. I know he caught a lot of flack early on, you know, during mm-hmm. his time as captain because, you know, a lot of fans didn't think he was ready. And, you know, you can kind of see that. But he did grow into it. And then, you know, I had a chance to interview him a couple times uh after games and he just you know had a good presence about him the presence that you need as a captain shen showed me that presence a little bit as well you know in times that you know i've talked to him and you know he would have been a good option for a captain in my opinion especially because he's inked up for so long um but o'reilly uh i thought o'reilly was the right pick this is a guy that you know leads by example uh first one in last one out to the arena um, and just a consummate professional. And he seems to have reacquired his love for hockey in St. Louis after leaving Buffalo, which I can't really blame him for getting being miserable in <laughs> Buffalo. I mean, that's just, let's just face it. If it's not the weather, it's the team itself. Um, but, you know. And, and you know what? If I can interject for a second. Go ahead. And that's a shame because you know what? There are a lot of great fans up in Buffalo. Yeah. And it is shameful to see them. Not, and I know they spent some money here during this crazy little different offseason that we yeah. had. You almost it's almost an organization and especially for the fan base that you root for, because consistently the Buffalo Sabres and the Buffalo metro area have the top ratings for not only regional broadcasts for the Sabres each and every year. They have any national broadcast Buffalo. If, if they're not the top, they're one of the top. Sometimes they're way better than Chicago, even when Chicago was really rolling there early in the early 2010s. That is a super, super uh hockey market and i feel sorry for those fans but yeah you know here comes a point in time where you get frustrated and you you get it from a ryan o'reilly unfortunately and you know you hate to say it but you look at the train you got to be even more frustrated as a buffalo saber fan because they got nothing yeah i mean really i mean berglund's gone saboka's gone tage thompson is not living up and you hope maybe the couple of their uh draft picks that that you got something out of a ryan o'reilly who's a you know, a MVP of the playoff, Selkie Award winner, and and now a captain of a team that's you know maybe a possible Stanley Cup finalist or champion again. Yeah, you got to be completely frustrated with it. Yeah, I mean, as a Blues fan though, when that trade was announced, I mean, I I I, I couldn't believe it because not only did the Blues get O'Reilly. Uh, you know, Doug Armstrong, a Jedi mind trick, bought a role into taking uh, Sabotka and Berglund, you know, which, you know, that's what made O'Reilly possible was getting th- those contracts off the book. So with O'Reilly, you know, you know, reportedly ascending to the captaincy with his performance the last couple of years, his role on the team, 
compare that to Tarasenko and, and, you know, his, you know, obviously it's not fair, you know, cause his, his shoulder, you know, keeps getting injured, but is this Ryan O'Reilly's team now? Oh, I don't think there's any doubt about it, especially now that he's established uh, in, in a couple of years. And, you know, as, as Guy pointed out, he'd already established himself early on with the respect of veterans and some of the younger players, or even if you were a new player, you had ultimate respect for just the work ethic alone of Ryan O'Reilly. So yes, I don't think there's, there's any question about it. Now, does Ryan, at least from what I can tell a little bit, seem like one of those vocal guys uh, from a, from a leader standpoint, maybe he is behind closed doors. I don't, that one, I don't know. Uh, I could see uh, Brendan, uh, Braden Shin uh, being that type of vocal guy, a little bit more vocal. Um, but I don't know if Ryan is that vocal lead by example, I guess is how we would term, term it. Yeah. I think that would probably fit Ryan O'Reilly more, but again, I'm not behind closed doors. So I don't know if maybe Ryan speaks up uh, with a loud voice and sometimes you have quiet leaders. I mean, like <clears throat> we were just talking about Petro, he, he's, he's more of a mild talking type of guy, but I think he, his, his, his words, spoke volumes to a lot of those guys even the veterans mm -hmm. uh in the locker room so i think what you have <clears throat> and i've mentioned this before on the air uh is the fact that one of the things that creates the locker room um the way it is and it's not like it was completely bad before but i think craig berube changed a lot of the scope of how how are things are handled and how guys just respond and like i've said before Listen, there's something that I don't know. I, I don't know one of those guys that's on that roster. Now, obviously, you got a couple of new people, <clears throat> but I don't know one of those guys that wouldn't walk through 17 brick walls for Craig Berube because he's no nonsense. He He's going to tell it like it is. And sometimes he's going to tell you something that you don't want to hear, but in the end, you appreciate it because, you know what, he's not BSing you. He's telling you like it is. And it, I don't know anybody that doesn't like that in this day and age, and I think that's why – those guys will go through those 17 brick walls for, for Craig Ruby and why they play the way they do is because Craig really kind of molded that whole thing together after uh, let's face it, taking over a situation that was so disappointing beyond anyone's wild imagination before they turned it around, because there was way too much talent on that team for as bad as they were playing the first three months of that season. No doubt. Yeah, I, I I'm with you. I'm absolutely with you on there. Uh, we've taken a lot of your time. So I want to ask uh, one last question, if, if you don't mind. Um, sure. I want to get into this season a little bit. You have and one of the questions I wanted to talk to you, I'll ask you later uh, when we because we're becoming friends and I love that. But one of the things that you get right now is you're sitting with Bernie, you're sitting with Jamie, you get to hear all their hockey knowledge. And, you know, I spent five minutes with Jamie and the hockey knowledge just poured into me. With all that knowledge that you have, what are the prospects for the Blues this season? Um, um, I think they should be very good. <clears throat> but there are more factors still as we sit here today. We're all pumped up because hockey's coming back. I'm so pumped up like everybody else for many reasons. Going back to work is kind of nice too. Um, but they, it, it depends on circumstances as far as the COVID thing. <clears throat> if you have, if the Blues have a breakout on their team, you know, how, how effective could that be? Um, but on paper, as I see it, <clears throat> I think this team 
should be right there in the mix. I mean, they've got a battle. Vegas is really, really good. And obviously they've improved with, with Alex. Um, I have, I think Colorado is really good. I mean, they have more than just the McKinnon line now, as we saw last year, their problem was their health when you think about it. Um, so I think those are two huge hurdles. You get past those hurdles, you, you might be looking at Stanley Cup finals, but those are going to be those are going to be true battles um, for this hockey team. But it, it's really hard to completely prognosticate what's going to happen just from the simple fact of this different time. I, any team will tell you, and, and I'll, I'll back up for a second. <clears throat> right before we started the baseball season, I just by happenstance ran into former Cardinal pitcher Andy Bennis. I was picking up some dinner one night <clears throat> somewhere around my house here in St. Louis. And Andy was there with his family. They were picking stuff up. And we were talking about baseball and everything. And he said, Scotty, he said, look, when I was playing in San Diego, we didn't have that many fans. We had like 8,000 fans in the stands. And he goes, but I can't imagine running out on the field, getting ready to pitch a game with nothing. He goes, that even 8,000 fans will get you motivated. Now, it's my understanding that the Blues more than likely are going to have some percentage of fan base into the enterprise center but it's still not the same and that's what also gets you energized as a player but i can even say as a broadcaster i can get energized being at the at, when we're at the enterprise center and bernie and i are doing doing our broadcast um <clears throat> so how does that play or have an effect uh, on the team as well granted they all played in bubbles as we all know whether it was in toronto or edmonton uh for however long you played the playoffs and what have you um, but with all that being said, I think, again, on paper, uh, they have a very good team. I, I think the Tory Krug move is unbelievable. I mean, it, it, Army kind of knew, I'm sure, and he'll admit it sometime. And he's sort of mentioned that it looked like it was just not going to happen with Petro. <clears throat> Unfortunately, <clears throat> there are certain guidelines you just couldn't meet in the middle. You were there, but you weren't all the way there. But to come around and to pick up Tory Krug, and I'm not sitting here saying uh, Tory Krug is Alex Petrangelo t- uh, the second. <clears throat> he, he's not, and but he's a competitor. He's probably a, a, a little bit of an upgrade from an offensive standpoint, downgrade defensively, because I think Petro gets overlooked at what he could was able to do and still can do as far as a defender is concerned. Um, but I, I think this Blues team on paper um, really – should be right there uh, in, in the pickings for a potential championship or at least challenging uh, for a championship. And I, and I want to add one thing. I, I'm, as I've mentioned before, I'm blessed to do this job. It is amazing. We have a little green room that sits off to where our, our studio is at Ballpark Village when we're not in Enterprise Center. When you sit with guys like Bernie Federico and Jamie Rivers or even sit with a guy like Darren Pang or from a baseball standpoint where I'm with uh, Al Roboski or Jim Edmonds or uh, uh, Rick Ankiel or Brad Thompson. The, all these guys see the game so much differently from all of us. I have, in this five years doing this, I've learned so much more about hockey and baseball. And I, I'm a pretty quick learner on things. I play the game only at the high school level, but I watched the games, observed the games. I did it when I did football broadcasts. But to sit there with, like you mentioned, Jamie or Bernie or Panger, they see a different game, man. And I'm just, I'm just like a sponge, man, because I love it. I, I love to sit there and listen and learn the game even more. It, it's truly amazing. And I feel so blessed to be able to sit there and not only call those guys friends, but coworkers that have taught me so much of the game. It's really, really awesome. And I think if you ask 
each one of those guys and a Johnny Kelly or, uh, or Chris Kerber or Joey Vitale, I think they all would probably agree with me and say, Blues still have a shot. They're, they're like I said, like we've all talked about before, they're still in this window. And I still think, you know, barring some unforeseen circumstances, which we're under unforeseen circumstances right now that, you know, on paper, I think they really should be in the mix to, to really battle potentially again to maybe make a run at the cup again. That's going to be tough. Again, Vegas and Colorado are very, very good hockey teams. I'm on. I'm, I'm absolutely with you. I think it's a gift that we went to this division, vice the central. I think that, that we have the opportunity to really hone our game, especially not just this year, but next season when when the division changes and we get uh, uh, Phoenix it back in our division. You know, I, I think the style of play between that, I think it's really going to help. Um, Tom, I'm going to give you time for one last question, and then this man is probably going to beat the crap out of me and never talk to me again. But uh, <laughs> go ahead, Tom. Um, he's just happy that the Blues are in Pacific Division, Mr. Hawaii, of course. Really. <laughs> hey, you know, I have, I have, I have not said a word about that because I understand what it's like. I lived in Japan and had to watch games at 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning. Um, you know, games, <laughs> hockey games were on during my work day. So I know exactly what it's like. So I've kept my mouth shut, even though I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was a dramatic reenactment of me at game seven after Pat Maroon scored, by the way, just, just, just FYI. Um, <laughs> I, I, I guess the only thing I have left for you, and first of all, I appreciate your time, Scott. It's been a great chat, and Thank it's, you. you know, got, got great insight, you know, just, you know, from, you know, not just, you know, a, a TV personality, but just as a fan as well. And I want to ask you one more thing about your time at KMOX. You know, so you, uh, you mentioned that you had a chance, you were working in the newsroom, and you had a chance to learn under the very talented wing of Bob Hamilton, who of course, recently passed away and I never had a chance to work with him. It, you know, I, I always wish I could have met him. I just never really could work out. But if there is one thing that you could pass along from your learnings under Bob Hamilton to anyone that's looking to get into broadcasting or just life in general, what would that thing be? Well, and I'll add to this, and I mean this in all sincerity is I've learned a lot from Bob, but there are a lot of other people that I learned from there. Are, People like Fred Bottomer, who you yep. know, who's, who was there when I first started. Just saw him a few Fred, hours ago. Fred, Fred's birthday is the same day as mine. Crazy, <laughs> I know. There was Joan Boykman, who wound up going over to KTRS when I was at KTRS at one time. Um, I could go up and down a list, not only from a newsroom standpoint, but I will also say guys like Randy Carricker and Mike Kelly, the voice of the Tigers, um, taught me a lot early in the stages when I started to do a little bit. But they taught me even. They come in. We talk all the time. And real quick story, <clears throat> I mentioned Jack Buck and Bob Costas, guys, I looked up to and they said, oh, this is easy. I wrote for Jack Buck one week. They had him come in and do the sports cast on Thanksgiving week when Bill Wilkerson was out. <clears throat> and uh, Jack didn't know how to get on the computer. He said, you're not doing traffic this week. You're going to write the sports cast for Mr. Buck. Mr. Buck, he's a night owl. He does games at night. So he wasn't used to getting up at four 30 in the morning and he was sleepy and tired and all this other stuff. And it was a Friday after Thanksgiving and I'm sitting there writing his last sports cast and this hundred dollar bill comes down and it lands on the keyboard. I go, Oh, Mr. Buck, you, you dropped this. He goes, no, I didn't. He goes, that's mine to you for everything you've done for me this week. And I want you to take you and your girlfriend out on me tonight. Wow. 
that's Jack Buck, okay, Bob Costas. So there was something that happened, and this was like early 90s, and it was a big, something big with baseball. And for the life of me, I can't remember. <clears throat> and they had, here's this guy I looked up to. And John Cooper was the executive producer at the time. He was the Ben Boyd of, of KMOX Sports back then. And um, Coop's like, hey, Scotty, he goes, uh, are you slow tonight? I'm like, yeah, we have nothing going on. He goes, can you help me out? Bob Costas is coming in, and he wants to listen to this thing. Now, Bob has photographic memory. He sees it. He, he sees it. He hears it. It's just like that. It's amazing. So, Bob, Scott, pleasure to meet you. Mr. Costas, nope, it's Bob. Bob, great to meet you. How are you doing? Okay, so I take him in this room. <clears throat> I said, tell me when you want to stop. Uh, we're using old reel-to-reel -reel machines, by the way, back then, Tom. <laughs> and the next year, because that was when I interned in, in 1990. And 91 is when I started working there. And Bob Costas comes in the big glass uh, doors at one Memorial Drive. And I'm sitting there. And Bob Costas goes, Scott, how you doing? I go, how does this man remember who I am? I've met him one time. What is this? I'm just some dumb reporter guy. I'm not even really, I wasn't even on the air. I was like, wow, that's impressive. That photographic memory right there was like, holy cow. But what I tell young people who want to get into the business is more than anything else, because again, things have drastically changed, not only within the last two years, even this year, but in the last 30 years, it's so different. But if you want to get out ahead, don't let anybody ever outwork you. Don't do it. Do anything and everything that you can. Be multi-talented or be able to do multiple items. You may be focused, like you are, Tom, on sports. I even see the Missouri River Otters banner behind you. That's awesome. <laughs> but if you do news, that's not a bad thing. If you produce and do news, that's a good thing. And you will show the people, not only the people that you work with, but especially the managers that, you know, Tom, he really works his rear end off. And that, especially in your early stages, is going to catapult you. You're sure you're going to get knocked down once or twice, three times. This is this is war of attrition, so to speak. You know, you have to be a survivor to get to where you can be long lasting. I know a lot of talented people that didn't last very long, unfortunately, in this great business because it's a numbers game. And then they wound up families and they couldn't afford it from a financial standpoint because it's for the love of the game a lot of the times. But with all that being said, I, I think hard work is so beneficial for anyone to have any success. And even when you have success, nobody's gonna outwork me. I, I'm gonna continue to work. And I was traveling with the Cardinals a couple of years ago and they were up in Chicago and it was a Cubs series. <clears throat> and one of my buddies has his daughter who used to go to school up there and Tim went up there <clears throat> and he's like, uh, Hey, can I spend one of the nights up there with you? <clears throat> um, you know, I'm going to go see my daughter. I said, sure, that's no problem. <clears throat> so we went out to eat and goes, Oh, let's go somewhere else. I go, nah, Tim. I said, I got it. You know, we got a day game. I, I get up early. Oh, come on, Warman. I'm like, no, I said, I got to go Tim. <clears throat> so um, anyway, he gets in, I didn't hear him. And it's six o'clock in the morning and I'm texting with one of my producers going over, items that we're going to do on the pregame show which is at 12 30 central time tim goes what are you doing i said i'm working i said I'm, I'm reading these news stories that i get the clips and i said and i'm looking at stats that we get every morning and i'm trying to put together he goes you're crazy i go no this is what we do and so there's a lot of people that you know in our industry they think 
you know, like one of my closest friends who passed a couple of years ago, he always thought that I just walked in at 630 and I did the pregame show. I'm like, no, Scott, because his name was Scott too. I said, no, Scott, that's not how it actually works. But Tim actually saw that we start early in the morning for a day game, but we start early in the morning, even for a night game, whether it's the Blues, the Cardinals, whatever. And we try to stack together a show and we try to put things together. And we read and we try to become well-versed. And I take pride in that. And I, I've, I've always said, I appreciate the opportunity and I love the opportunity that I've been given. And, uh, and part of that is to put in some hard work. And that, Tom, to me, that's the best advice that I not only can give to you, but you know, countless of, of young people um, that want to get into this business because eventually your hard work will pay off. It won't be like that but eventually it does pay off. It really does. Well, I just got to keep following Guy's example when it comes to the hard work part. I mean, you know, <laughs> producing videos, climbing Chinaman's hat to give us blues analysis and starting his own website. I mean, I mean, how can I compete with that? <laughs> I, I'm so, you know what? I'm not even close to you guys. I've sat here. I, I know you guys have seen it. Brett's been like, wiped the smile off your face a little bit here and there. It's been a absolute pleasure, Scott, to talk to you. And, and how open and willingness you have been to talk to me, somebody that you've never met before, but knew about me. So obviously my name's gotten out there. And Tom uh, Franklin, I don't know what to, I, I just love you guys. You and Wags have become great friends <laughs> and, and we've never met. And this is one thing that I'm gonna say before we leave. In the two years that I have really been able to express my blues fanhood, I have met people that have become closer friends to me that I even haven't met the people I've known my whole life. So this is a great community and you guys are part of it and you're the absolute epitome of that community. So thank well, you so thank much. You very much. And by the way, Merry Christmas to you guys and to all the great blues fans out there. We're going to drop the puck here real soon, boys and girls. That's well, the best Christmas present of all. And I'll do it for this episode of Blue Notes. I want to thank you for listening because without you, there is no me, there is no WAGS, there is no Hawaii Blues fan, and there is no Hockey Podcast Network. I'm Tom Franklin reminding you to not be a chump, always play to the whistle, and have a great new year. A reminder that you can follow Blue Notes on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Blue Notes Pod. I'm the voice of the blues, Tom Calhoun. Jeremy Boyer, play us out. You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from.